Today, Moscow is attacked. NATO troops are attacked. The Spanish Prime Minister calls a snap election. Erdogan secures power for another five years. And the Japanese Prime Minister fires his son. From TLDR News, this is your daily briefing for Tuesday the 30th of May 2023. In the last 24 hours, there have been some significant developments in Russia's invasion of Ukraine, with reports of Moscow being targeted in a Ukrainian drone strike. In total, Russia's defence ministry has claimed that Ukraine attacked the Russian capital with eight drones, with them adding that all eight were either shot down or were suppressed using electronic warfare systems. The Russian mayor of Moscow claimed that the only damage that was caused was minor damage to buildings, adding that there had been no casualties. In a statement, the Russian Defense Ministry claimed that this morning, the Kiev regime launched a terrorist drone attack on targets in the city of Moscow. Russian residents in the capital began reporting loud bangs at around 2am or 3am, with some residents of the Leninsky Prospect Avenue being affected. This is significant, as President Putin has a state residence there. In fact, it appears the attack was predominantly targeted in wealthier neighbourhoods in Moscow. About the attack, Ukrainian presidential adviser Mikhailo Podolyak said, of course we are pleased to watch and predict an increase in the number of attacks. But of course, we have nothing directly to do with this. For their part, Russia has, over the weekend, continued their attacks against Ukraine. The Russian military on Monday hit Kiev with an array of missile fire. The attack came in the middle of the day, following a night of missile strikes across the rest of Ukraine. The Ukrainian military claims to have downed 11 Iskander missiles launched by Russia in their daytime raid. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky posted a picture of a child running for shelter, with the caption reading, Ukrainian children, every time an air raid alert sounds. This is what an ordinary weekday looks like. There's more on the way, but be sure to subscribe and ring the bell to make the daily briefing part of your daily routine. Or just search for us on your podcast app to listen along. More than 30 NATO peacekeeping soldiers have been injured in Kosovo during clashes with Serb protesters. The NATO-led peacekeeping mission in Kosovo, called KFOR, condemned the violence and described the scene, saying... While countering the most active fringes of the crowd, several soldiers of the Italian and Hungarian KFOR contingent were the subject of unprovoked attacks and sustained trauma wounds with fractures and burns due to the explosion of incendiary devices. Serbian President Aleksandr Vucic said 52 Serbs were injured during the protests, which saw troops use tear gas and stun grenades. The heightened tension comes after ethnic Albanian mayors took office in Serb-majority areas of northern Kosovo, after elections that were boycotted by ethnic Serbs. Protesters gathered to try and prevent the mayors from taking office, as well as to protest the heavy-handed actions of the Kosovo police and the removal of Serbian flags. Kosovo and Serbia have been at odds for decades, and Kosovo declared its independence from Serbia in 2008 though Serbia refuses to recognise its sovereignty. Kosovo is largely populated by ethnic Albanians, though areas in the north have Serb majorities, making them a flashpoint for violence. NATO described the attack on their troops as totally unacceptable and urged all sides to refrain from actions that further inflame tensions and to engage in dialogue. So that's what's been happening in Kosovo today. Let's move and discuss what's been happening in Spain. 
After bruising local elections on Sunday, Spain's socialist prime minister, Pedro Sánchez, has called for a snap election on July the 23rd. Sunday's local and regional elections saw the conservative opposition People's Party make significant gains across the country, while the far-right Vox more than doubled their share of local councillors, putting them in an influential position in many cities where the People's Party will need their support to govern. So why would Pedro Sánchez, having just seen his opponents make major gains, call a snap election? Well, Spain was already going to have an election by December this year, at the latest, so this snap vote will be held around five months early. He's likely hoping to cut short the right wing's victory lap by forcing them back into campaign mode. He may also think that the election campaign will happen soon enough after the formation of local and regional governments that moderate voters will see the centre-right People's Party allying with the far-right Vox and worry about the prospect of that at a national level. Additionally, Sanchez is hoping that a snap election forces the divided far-left, who are his coalition allies, to kick into gear, put aside their differences, and unite ahead of the vote. Nevertheless, the momentum is with the right, and Sanchez's social party and its far-left allies are trailing in the polls. So, unless they pull off a remarkable turnaround, they may soon be booted out of office. If you want more content like this from TLDR, then make sure you check out Nebula, where each week we release a roundup of what's been happening in Westminster in our series, This Week in Parliament. Following an intense election, the second round of the Turkish presidential election has been concluded, with Erdogan pulling ahead and winning re-election. In the first round, Erdogan received 49.5% of the vote. Kilic Durolu received only 44.5%. Some polls prior to the first round had suggested that Kilic Durolu may have, in fact, won outright without the need for a second round. Not only did this not happen, but Erdogan received more votes in the first round. Nonetheless, as neither candidate received more than 50% of the votes, as per Turkish election rules, a second round was required. With Erdogan already on the front foot, an endorsement from the third-party candidate, Sinan Ogan, appeared to only confirm his election victory. Today, with 99.43% of votes counted, Erdogan has won re-election, with 52.1% to Kilic Durolu's 47.9%. This means that Erdogan has secured himself another five years in power, extending his more than two decades in office. During this period, Erdogan has served as both Prime Minister and President, with him transferring many powers of the former to the latter. Giving a victory speech, Erdogan claimed that we are not the only ones who have won. Turkey has won. Our democracy has won. Japan's Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has fired his eldest son from his role as a policy secretary amid a scandal surrounding his son's use of his father's official residence for a private party. Photos surfaced in the media last week showing Shotaro Kishida and his friends at important locations in the residence. One photo showed the group in a mock cabinet photo on the staircase traditionally used for such photographs. Another showed some posing behind an official podium bearing the Prime Minister's seal. Kishida initially said he had severely reprimanded his son but wouldn't dismiss him. However, after continued criticism, he has decided to replace him with a long-time personal aide. We end the main section of the briefing with some uplifting news from Somalia, where the national government and federal states have announced that the country will introduce direct universal suffrage, i.e. one person, one vote, in 2024. 
Elected last year, President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed had pledged to end Somalia's decades-old complex indirect voting system, which involves clan elders electing delegates who in turn elect regional and national politicians. Last week, the Somali state of Puntland held the country's first election by direct universal suffrage since 1969, and the unrecognised self-governing nation of Somaliland also has direct elections with universal suffrage. But the new agreement between the federal government and states means that universal suffrage will be extended nationwide across Somalia at all levels of government from 2024. That's all we have time for on YouTube, but the briefing isn't over. That's because I sit down with Jack and Scarlett and discuss the succession finale. That was the moment yeah. I was like, I'm again. the eldest boy! Yeah. And then she's <laughs> just, just true. quietly like, you're not! Yeah, yeah I'm looking forward yeah. to that spin-off. Yeah. <laughs> In conclusion, Team Greg. <laughs> In the extended ad-free edition of The Daily Briefing, only on Nebula. That's the streaming service we're building with a bunch of our creative friends, many of whom you're likely to be already watching. That means that by signing up, you not only get an extended ad-free daily briefing every single day, you also get to watch exclusive and ad-free videos from the best educational creators on YouTube. That's things like Real Life Law's incredible Modern Conflicts, which breaks down contemporary disputes around the world, Neo's Underexposure, which beautifully dives into complex and shadowy topics you've always wanted to know more about, or Extremities from Wendover Productions, which uncovers some of the world's most remote places. All of these are only available on Nebula, just like our extended daily briefings and a whole bunch of other exclusive TLDR content which never comes to YouTube. If you want to sign up, use the link in the description so that they know you came through us. That helps us out a whole lot, as does watching on Nebula more generally. So thanks for signing up and we'll see you on Nebula.